Let's talk lunchtime. Remember the good old days when we weren't afraid of sandwiches? The carb fear is real, you guys. Uh, so many of my friends are watching carbs, but it's tough. I mean, the best things in life have carbs, right? Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. Their breads contain zero to one grams of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and they're even high in fiber. That's not all. The taste and texture are spot on. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying like a savory breakfast burrito or a mouth-watering cheeseburger. Hero Bread has it figured out. So don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. So go to hero.co and use code love at checkout. That's love at H-E-R-O dot C-O. When I wrote my first book, having an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm able to share my books, fun t-shirts, more, all in my online shop. And it's so easy, all because I use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. I love how Shopify works. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash for the love, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash for the love now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash for the love. This episode contains mature content like sex and intimacy. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to the show. I'm in love with this series and particularly today's episode. We are in a series right now called For the Love of Sex. Last year, we had an amazing time with our dating, sex, and relationship series, which was kind of a broader treatment. And we realized that maybe we needed to hone in on the sex part of the equation, basically based on the feedback we got from so many of you. Turns out there's still a ton of us who don't feel really comfortable talking about sex for a variety of reasons. I mean, maybe we're the ones who didn't relate to the Sex in the City girls or how openly women are able to engage and talk about sex. And there's a million reasons why this conversation could be hard our history, the messages we receive, trauma. This list could go on and on and on forever. But it is possible to be open and curious and even confident about sex in a way that fits exactly who we are. Not a version of ourselves, not some vixen iteration of who we really are, who we think we're supposed to be, but really just genuinely who we are in the bodies that we have. I think it's amazing, frankly, the progress toward having more safe and mature spaces to have these discussions in keeping with the rest of us. Like, we're not in a television show, right? We're not starring in a porn video, right? We are real people. We're real women with real bodies in real relationships, both with ourselves and with our partners. And 
this conversation belongs to us too. I'm not hating on the sex in the city spaces because frankly, a lot of our pop culture platforms sort of unlocked this conversation where polite society, if you will, had kept women repressed about sex for way too long. But as the pendulum swings kind of to the middle, we want to normalize conversations around sex. And in this series, particularly bring you people who answer questions maybe we didn't even know we had. Also, and this is big, help us to improve our attitudes, our perspectives, our internal outlook on sex, which in turn will just about guaranteed improve our actual sex lives. And I think most of us would sign up for that, right? So in this particular series, we are looking at sex from as many angles as possible. And we're thinking through these questions that we know that we have, and even some that we don't know that we have. We have truly an amazing expert with us this week, who is a clinical psychologist, She specializes in relational self-awareness, and she is going to help us look at our own awareness about sex and how that perspective has been shaped by our brains, by our families, our culture, our religion, our experiences. This is such a helpful, candid, frank, and hopeful discussion. So, According to Dr. Solomon Alexandra, our guest today, and also host of the Reimagining Love podcast, sex impacts really all of our life. She challenges us to think of sex as having developmental, mental, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual components. We are very complex human beings, and we have a brain that will bring up sexual feelings or memories or impressions kind of on a loop, really. I mean, whether it was something somebody said about our body in middle school or the way our Sunday school teacher made us think about our bodies and our sexuality, the way that sex maps out in our brain and then onto the people around us is complicated. So we want to talk about that. We want to normalize whatever is making us uncomfortable and then add a heaping scoop of self-compassion on top. So Dr. Solomon, this is a great episode, you guys. I am so glad that you are here and that you have your AirPods in and you are listening to this one. Like I walked away from this conversation feeling relieved, empowered, and educated. She's going to break down a whole bunch of concepts that I think will bring genuine relief to some of our worries around sex. She's very passionate about unlocking sexual pleasure for women and also building like loving and lasting relationships. She teaches a renowned course on this at Northwestern University. So briefly, like over the last two decades, Dr. Solomon has become one of the most trusted voices in the world of relationships. And as mentioned, her work on relational self-awareness has reached millions of people around the world. She is a licensed clinical psychologist at the Family Institute at Northwestern University, and she's also on the faculty in the School of Education and Social Policy there. Dr. Solomon is the author of two best-selling books, one called Loving Bravely, 
and the other taking sexy back, which we're going to talk about at length today. And she regularly presents to very diverse groups that cross the spectrum from the United States, military academy at West Point to Microsoft and everything in between. So when she isn't working, she loves long walks and sweaty workouts and Yahtzee. (laughs) I found our conversation dynamic and smart and interesting and generous. And so I think you will too. So whatever whatever you're bringing to the table around this conversation, you are welcome at this one. And I think you are going to feel seen and heard and cherished no matter how dysfunctional or unsatisfying or confusing or complicated sex is for you right now. These are the first incredible steps towards something mutual and enjoyable and fulfilling. So... I'm delighted to bring you my conversation with the wonderful Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Dr. Alexandra Solomon, I am just absolutely delighted that you are here. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for giving my podcast community this hour because We want to know what you have to say. Well, I'm so happy to be here with you. I am a a huge fan of your work, and I am here to to celebrate all things love and sex and, you know, being women, and I'm here for all of it. So thank you so much for having me on. Fantastic. So let's start here. I have filled my listeners in a little bit about who you are, kind of what it is that you do, but can you take just a minute? to tell us in your own words, this is who I am. This is where I am. This is my work. These are my people. What's your deal? In other words, (laughs) (laughs) my deal is I am an unapologetic love nerd. I just am so endlessly fascinated by human relationships, how we love each other, how we are loved by each other. And I've been on this, you know, decades long journey of my own growth and healing and understanding who I am as a person. And that has just that right alongside my professional work. And I feel so lucky that I get to be a therapist. I get to sit with people in the most, you know, inner chambers of their worlds and the innermost chambers of their marriages. That's such a blessing to be able to do that work. And I'm an educator. So I've been at Northwestern for years and years and years, and I get to do things like this. I have a podcasts. I write self-help books. I'm on Instagram. It's such an exciting time to be a, a, a relationship and sexuality educator and clinician because we have so many more ways of translating research and clinical wisdom out into the world. So it is, it's a wonderful time to be doing the work that I do. And I'm grateful every day that I get to be as nerdy as I get to be and that people listen to me. <laughs> it is so true. I was just having a conversation with my girlfriends just last night. And we were talking about the capacity that we all have to be healthier and have access to best practices and to do a lot of internal work and have stronger and better relationships simply because the way the world is set up right now, we have access to so many resources from every angle, like pick your platform. Someone is on there teaching us, leading us, putting words in our heads, language that we can use, stuff that our moms had absolutely no access to. They were just out in the Wild West 
trying to figure out the internal landscape of their hearts, of their bodies. And so it is a wonderful time to be both a teacher and a learner because everything's at our fingertips right now. If we want to know it, it's out there. And this is one of those subjects. Obviously, you and I are about to kind of dial really into sort of conversations around sex. And I mean, I'm 48. I know in my community of women, this is one of those conversations that charts the highest degree of interest and like felt need and the lowest degree of actual engagement because we don't know where to go and we don't know what to say. Some of us are either embarrassed or we've got shame wrapped around sex for some reason, for lots of reasons. And so it's great to be able to have a conversation with you and put it on a platter in front of our community. Okay, that was a long intro. Let's frame up this conversation really quickly. In the intro of your book, Taking Sexy Back, which bravo on the title. I mean, (laughs) that was the title. That was the title. Uh Yes, on Taking Sexy Back. (laughs) So you write about the difference between knowing you're sexy, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, you are sexy, and knowing you're sexy, Y-O-U-R. What is your sexy? I really love this. I think that's clever and a definitive way to engage in the conversation around sex. So can you walk us through this, I guess, foundational way, possibly thinking about our sexuality? Absolutely. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is that the research has, research in general, social science research has found that in the realm of sex and dating and in intimate partnership, gender role socialization, gender role expectations are the most rigid and narrow when it comes to sex and love and dating. These scripts about who we are allowed to be based on the bodies we live in are so rigid and narrow around sex. So I knew when I went to write a book about sex, I'd have to either write for those of us who've been socialized as girls and women or for those who've been socialized as boys and men. So I decided to write about women's sexuality. That was that was the audience I was at least going to reach for first. And what stands out first and foremost about women and sex is that we are so completely objectified from the time we're little, right? And that's that's the nature of patriarchy is to objectify women. And we learn to objectify ourselves. I don't I don't know how it is for you, but I know I have forever related to my body as a forever fixer-upper project, you know? And, and so that, of course, comes into the bedroom with us because sex is an embodied experience. So our relationship with our bodies, you know, comes into the bedroom with us. And so my relationship to my body, likely your relationship to your body, is sizing it up based on how other people perceive us, how we are, especially for those of us who are straight, how we are in the male gaze. So sexy is a question like, am I sexy? And it's a, there's an idea that you, you know, who's allowed to be sexy, what sexiness is, is defined from the outside in. So when I wrote taking sexy back, that's what we're taking back. We're taking back the idea that actually our sexy lives right here inside of us. And it always has your sexuality is a part of yourself. It's a part of who you are. It's your embodied relationship with touch and physical expression and pleasure and creativity and play. And that the reclamation is beginning to experience that from the inside out versus a question that somebody else answers. Yes, you're sexy. No, you're not sexy. You'd be sexier if you do this or look this way. So that's the shift that we're trying to make. Mm. It's liberating just to hear you say that. Just that this is an inside job. 
first and foremost, and even primarily, but that is therein lies the challenge because we have, as you've mentioned, been so conditioned otherwise. And every message that women and girls have received has suggested that we are on a stage for other people to decide these things for us. Let's talk about this, this idea of turning inward for these answers. You have so much incredible advice and resources for creating and maintaining intimacy inside relationships. So let's start with this idea of relational self-awareness and how it is that that great sex begins in that context. Why is this even important? Why is it even important to even ask ourselves, why do we have sex? What do we want here? What do we like out of it? Can you kind of start us from this ground level space? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, before I do though, I want to make sure that we put a a really big spotlight on the fact that you and I are having this conversation in a post Dobbs world, right? Like as Roe versus Wade. And so, so it is, so this is a personal conversation and it's a political conversation as well. Right. So, so I think that's also, I think it also is not a coincidence that as women are beginning to understand their bodies more deeply, reclaim pleasure, you know, settle less for subpar sexual experiences that's happening right alongside the erosion of reproductive freedom and bodily autonomy. So I want to just like make sure that that context is, you know, is is here with with us in this conversation, right? We can say it's an inside job, but we also know darn well our bodies are being legislated. You're absolutely right. It's it's so grave. It's, it's just so, so grave. grave. It's so dire right now. And I've got young adults. My kids are young adults, and I'm just looking at them, thinking, how are we rolling this back? to your grandmother's and great-grandmother's time right now. And it feels daunting. And this is not the moment to drop our vigilance and our advocacy and raise our voices, all of this. I could not possibly agree with you more. So while theoretically, this is an inside job, there are also outside forces that feel like they have the right to say anything they want to say about our bodies. Absolutely. And yet we're going to persist. And yet we are going to talk and about, yet we are going to, persist. you know, pleasure and how we understand ourselves. So relational self-awareness. So as we said at the top, you know, I switch hats a lot throughout the week, but the thing that is consistent, whether I'm teaching or doing therapy or being a wife and a mom is that I'm, I'm focusing on relational self-awareness, which is this idea and practice that our relationship quality rests on our willingness to look inside of ourselves with fierce compassion and endless curiosity. So it's not ever about beating ourselves up. It's not ever about blaming our parents. It is about just knowing that we wear a pair of glasses in our relationships that shapes and distorts sometimes what we're hearing from our partner or from our kid or from our you know colleague because of our own wounds, our own tender spots. We have relational distortions, not because we suck, but because we are human and we are tender and we are shaped by our experiences. So relational self-awareness is a is a practice. It's, it's everything that I do. And it's essential to bring into the bedroom because we have been, as we were saying before, we've been socialized about who we're allowed to be. And we've been given, many of us have been given quite harsh, fear-loaded and shame-inducing messages about the whole realm of sex. And that stuff, even if we're not consciously thinking about third grade sex ed while we're, you know, in bed with our partner, even if we're not consciously thinking of it, 
those early experiences shaped how we show up for intimate moments. Mm. It's so real. It's, it's baked into the sauce. You know, at this point when we've received those for so long and starting at such an early age, self-awareness can be really challenging because our instinct is just to say the way I feel is it's right-sized. It's very hard work and humbling work to be able to say, I might be having a distorted reaction to this. And I find that really challenging. It's interesting, this conversation for me right now, because I was married for 26 years and lost my marriage at the beginning of the pandemic and then got far enough away from it that I could look back with much more honesty, self-honesty, self-reflection, this relational self-awareness that you're mentioning and was able to say, okay, I've got some stuff here. Because <laughs> what I wanted to do is to be like, I didn't do this. This wasn't my choice. This was done unto me. But this relational self awareness has been really monumental for me to say, no, these are this, 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 and this, and this. These are my patterns, my deal. And I'm either going to face these or I'm going to walk them right into my next relationship. So these have to do with me and only me. And that work is, it's hard. It's humbling. There's something inside of it that, for some reason, I find myself wanting it to be somebody else's fault or problem. And this idea of internal work that sometimes is not super pretty to look at. The mirror doesn't always give like a, the most generous reflection. It's just a real reflection. is hard. Can you talk about the challenges? Because it sounds, I love the idea of it. Like, Let's just do this internal self-reflection and then this will put you like in a more like relational win, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And you know, you, you just said it so beautifully and powerfully is that I think that everybody who comes out of a marriage, especially a long-term marriage, has that opportunity to learn and to grow something from that like super fertile soil, but it's really hard and scary and it has to be done self-compassionately. And I think that that you know, with like holding on to, to grief and gentleness and that I did the best I could at the time I was doing it. And the only way we can tolerate it is if we're really vigilant to say that we're doing this as a process versus trying to decide like a judge whose fault it ultimately was, right? That it really, it's not about figuring out where to put this like bag of blame or responsibility because relationships are too complicated, but think about our political world, like we, we crave these like simple answers of like, it's, you know, zero sum. It's either me or it's you. We come by that like binary thinking really honestly, like I get why we do it. But what I love about studying and teaching and learning about relationships is that we cannot indulge in simple answers. All we can do is like grow our capacity to be like, Oh, that's fascinating. And like, here's another layer and here's another layer. And as I peel that back, I have both more compassion for you, more grace for us, more curiosity about what's possible now. That's the only way this work is tolerable because otherwise you're right. We would either be chronically enraged at all the ways we've been done wrong, or we'd be chronically ashamed of ourselves and therefore unable of being close to somebody else because we can't be full of shame and connected, you know? Oh, it's so good. Such good advice. A couple of things that you advise people to try in order, hopefully, to feel more, let's say, confident in the bedroom. You say, notice our self-talk, bring mindfulness to bed, 
and enlist a teammate. Can you break those down for us and how they particularly like nurture self-compassion, which in turn nurtures confidence, right? That's This is kind of the domino effect. Yes. <laughs> One of my like kind of points of annoyance these days is I, I'm so here for sex positivity, right? This, this is a term that we've been using for the last like seven to 10 years of being, you know, sex positive, which basically means coming in with the idea that sex is natural and it's normal and we're all sexual. And what we're interested in is not weird or pathological. Like it's really kind of coming in from a foundation of positivity. So I'm here for it. But I think sometimes we get ourselves twisted and we think that if we're sex positive, it means that we're just like these super confident, like vixens and divas, and we're up for anything and we can talk dirty and, you know, do anything, any old that kind is of a narrative. <laughs> that, that is, is another narrative. narrative. Yes. I think that young women struggle with it. I think that, mid, you know, I think we all struggle with this idea of like, wait, can I be sex positive and a bit timid? Can I be sex positive and, you know, what we would call quote unquote vanilla or like not super interested in being, you know, in, in being kinky or pushing edges. So that's why I love that you teased apart in your question the difference between confident and compassionate. And that confidence really is, to me, it's about the ability to stay present during a sexual experience with a partner, the ability to stay engaged versus either exiting our bodies, you know, and what sex therapists call spectatoring, which is kind of like watching the scene from above because we're a little bit like dissociated or out of our bodies. That's one of the exit doors. But the other exit door is performance, which is where we just get hyper-focused on how our partner's feeling, how we look you know, to our partner, if what we're doing is good enough for our partner. And those are the kinds of exit doors that women especially take that really compromise pleasure and fuel you know, what the research has found is a, is a persistent orgasm gap. And the orgasm gap only really shows up when you look at heterosexual sex. In queer sexual experiences, the rate of orgasm is pretty much, you know, universal across the board. It's like the high 80s, it's the high 90s. You know, people, you know, queer sexual experiences tend to be pretty darn reliably orgasm producing. But in heterosexual couples and heterosexual sex, there's an orgasm gap. He hangs out, you know, in the 90% chance that he's going to have an orgasm and she hangs out in the 60% range. And so straight women especially have work to do around, as you said, self-talk, mindfulness. But the third one, enlisting a teammate, is that really we've got to talk about the kinds of sexual behaviors. I think we're going to get into this. The kinds of sexual behaviors, the kinds of sexual scripts that really are orgasm producing for women. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, this is my my colleague, Dr. Lori Mintz, calls it getting cliterate. <laughs> cliterate. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That is brilliant. I'm so upset. I never came up with that. Yeah. Uh, don't you so think? Funny. Uh-huh. Literacy. Hilarious. Is, mm-hmm, mm. Some something that really very few, if any of us, learned in, you know, high school sex ed, right? Like if I you, didn't. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, could you have found the clitoris on a diagram when you were in? I, I, no one said that word to me. Like, I mean, we were in a vacuum of education in the 80s and like early 90s. This was just, we were still having like abstinence-only sex ed. So, I mean, no one's going to talk to you about your clitoris or what to do with it. So that was self-discovery <laughs> at best. That's right. 
That's yeah. right. If you happen to, if you that's happen right. To- <laughs> Stumble upon it. I'm like, wait a minute. This feels important. That feels different. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, that is still true today. Like there was a study where they showed college students a diagram of the external female genitalia, and only half of women could identify 80% of the structures, and only a quarter of men could. So we are that's not- That's a current? Are, that's a recent that's a, study? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's current. Oh, that's yeah. depressing. It's depressing because abstinence only sex ed still really pretty much like rules the day here in the US, you know? And if you, so if you see a diagram, what you see is like the internal reproductive organs, that's which true. is so telling, right? Like the message is everything down there is for reproduction, not pleasure. So we're going to actually- intentionally not talk to you about pleasure. And if you're talking about pleasure with women, you're talking about the clitoris, which is, you know, a part of sexual anatomy that only exists for pleasure. Like that's pretty freaking wild. Like think about that. One half of our population (laughs) is built with a body that has a part that is just for pleasure. That's pretty powerful. It is. It is. And so when you say enlist a teammate, what does that mean? It means that especially if you are the heterosexual sexual experience, the two of you have got to look together at the predominant sexual script, which is, you know, foreplay that warms the bodies up for the big performance, which is penetrative sex, right? That's what we all learned, you know, first base, second base, third base, home run. Like that's a predominant script. And that script is what produces the orgasm gap because penetrative sex is the least reliable path to orgasm for a woman because it's not right. There's, there's no guarantee that the clitoris is going to get much of any engagement. So all the stuff we call foreplay is actually the stuff that tends to be much more orgasm producing when a woman masturbates, right? Like that is much more, she's much more likely to be engaging and including and honoring the clitoris rather than just focusing on penetration alone. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And and that in turn allows women, right, to stay in it, to stay in their body, to stay in the moment, no longer in this sort of performative space or dissociated space, but rather highly engaged because we're being engaged in a way that's pleasurable, right? So I think, frankly, it can be also liberating for men as well, right? That when you, you say that everything we do leads up to penetration, basically you're saying that he, his job is to get hard and stay hard. That's a bunch of freaking pressure. Whereas if we view sex as just like, it's an unfolding experience of touching and being touched and that there's not a goal that we're getting to. It's, it's liberating, I think, for everybody involved. That's a great point. The narrative did men no favors either. Really, that's a lot of pressure. Like this one way to have sex is supposed to both produce your orgasm and hers which is a challenge at best. And so this is freedom, not just for women, but for all of us inside relationships. Y'all, I am excited about this. I'm planning a Nashville trip this spring. You know, I love that town. Planning and researching trips is my jam. 90s country music is my other jam. And I found an app that offers guided tours of Ryman Auditorium and Country Music Hall of Fame. Like, be still my achy, breaky heart. As soon as I saw this option on Viator, I knew this was something Tyler and I had to do. 
Vitor has over 300,000 bookable travel experiences in over 190 countries, from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche stuff in between. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Another thing that you write is all of our choices, including our sexual choices, are guided by either love or fear. I find this highly relatable. Can you talk us through how these two energies influence how it is that we make decisions around sex? And then second part, how does the technique that you say name, connect, choose help us figure out where we are coming from when we are making choices and decisions around sex. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with the first one, the love versus fear, which, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think we can go into a sexual experience because we want to, right? Like that's the energy of love. I choose this. I want this. Going into sexual experience with the energy of fear is I'm doing this because I should. I'm doing this because if I don't, you're going to get mad. I'm doing this because this is what quote unquote normal people do. And when fear is in the driver's seat, our pleasure is compromised. We're less likely to have orgasms, right? There's sort of guilt and duty and obligation, which especially, you know, in long-term relationships, I think that is something that really does compromise pleasure. I want, especially longer-term couples to be able to like create an atmosphere where you can say no, like a loving no. Like I'm not, I'm not available for sex tonight, but I'm super available for whatever, watching White Lotus or taking a bath together, like how else might we connect? So it's a loving, even our nose can be, can be led by love. So it's less about like the shoulds around sex and more about the wants. And I think in order to get to those wants, we have to quiet the negative self-talk, quiet the list of to-dos and be able to talk with our partner about about what would feel good. What are we wanting? And that's really hard to do also because when are we ever taught how to talk about sex, how to communicate about sex? So that's that distinction I'm trying to get to is like love versus fear, the want versus the should. And, and sometimes the want isn't like, I'm so horny and I want to. Sometimes the want is I, I want to feel close. I want to lay down together and I want to trust that my body is going to you know, wake up, get curious, you know, become available. Cause some, some of us, especially, you know, women, especially women in longer term relationships, we sometimes move from what's called spontaneous desire, which is often what we have early in a relationship to more responsive desire, which is not, I'm going to have sex because I know it's good for me and it's good for us rather than because I'm so horny. I can't even yeah. stand it. Yeah. That's a good distinction. And then name connect choose. So this is just, this is a process that, that I bring into relational self-awareness teaching. That's the name is just noticing whatever feels real and true and present for you. Being honest about that, even within your own, within your own self, like to say, I'm wanting more connection with my, with my partner, or I'm aware that a lot of my sexual experiences are driven by a should to connect. And then the connect is feeling whatever you feel about it. I feel sad about that. I feel angry about that. I feel worried about that. And then choose because the idea is that we can't 
change anything. There's a beautiful James Baldwin quote that says, not everything that is named can be changed, but nothing can change until it's been named. So the idea that just noticing, like that process of beginning to notice and name, what am I interested in? What feels true for me? What am I observing about myself or my relationship patterns? Starting Mm, from that. That's good. These conversations can be challenging, but so fruitful inside of a relationship when we bring our feelings and experiences to the table with one another. That's tender place, that vulnerable place of, of addressing that as together is really powerful and can really move the needle forward for some of our internal messaging, right? Like this is not neutral. This really can have a wildly positive effect on our connection, on our sexual experiences. I think a good place to start is like, what's keeping you from speaking up? And I think very often it's a fear of hurting our partner's feelings. And I think that that's one of my big messages is every sexual problem is a couple problem. It's not ever about figuring out whose fault you know, this, this challenge is, or this issue is. So when I, when I bring up a problem or a challenge or a concern with my partner, it's about we, it's about, I love us. I believe in us. I value us, which is why I want you and I to talk about this question I have, or this observation I have, or this concern I have. It's not about throwing our partner under the bus or telling them they're doing it wrong. It's about starting from that place of, I love us and this matters. And that's why I want us to talk together. That's a beautiful beginning. I have a fact for you. Approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning. When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes and Nutrafol addresses them through a whole body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over a million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supplements support healthy hair growth by targeting what causes it like stress, hormones, or nutrition. No prescription requirements. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HATMAKER. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. So Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code HATMAKER. So Nutrafol.com, promo code HATMAKER. I have a milestone birthday this summer and I am going on a European cruise. Instead of just obsessing over the excursions or what I'm packing, I've decided to use my excitement and Rosetta Stone to work on my language skills. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language program. It is conveniently available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you wanna learn. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, or Polish. What do you want to learn? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, For the Love listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash hatmaker. Guys, that's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash hatmaker today. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash for the love and get on your way to being your best self. Question, if you had an extra hour in your day, how would you spend it? 
like maybe talking to a friend or baking or napping, whatever. Simply understanding what is most important to you is the best way to prioritize your time. And therapy can help you find what matters most to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash for the love. You have tons of experience, obviously, working with both long-term couples and single women in reclaiming their sexy. You run the gamut in terms of how people are relationally located. So, of course, this might be an impossible question, but could you give us maybe your number one or two pieces of advice for the, let's talk about the long-term couples first that need to have this conversation. This something inside their sexual relationship is dysfunctional or broken or disconnected, whatever. So long, the long-termers. And then secondly, maybe your number one or two pieces of advice for single women, whether they've, they've been single their whole adult lives or they're newly single who are maybe confronting their deeper feelings on sex, either for the first time or again. I think for long-term couples, my biggest piece of advice is just what I said a moment ago, which is that every sexual problem is a couple problem, which gets tricky because it's like, well, the low desire is, is your low desire. The erectile difficulty, that erection lives on your body. So sometimes with sex, it gets tricky because you can locate the problem inside somebody. And there's always a context and a dynamic for every, you know, erectile dysfunction, there's a dynamic. There's how the partner feels about the erectile challenge. There's how the person with the erectile challenge feels about it. There's what the two of them do in the face of it. So I want long-term couples, I want, first of all, to normalize that there, if you are, especially if you're monogamous and you're trying to make love to the same person for like decades, there's going to be... (laughs) There's going to be dry spells. There's going to be like mismatched libidos. There's going to be menopause. There's, you know, things, there's going to be childbirth and, you know, job changes and medical diagnoses, like things are going to happen. And so I want couples to be together, shoulder to shoulder, looking at the problem together, right? It's not, it's not my problem or your problem. It's us looking at our sexual connection. How do we as a couple cultivate this, nurture it, tweak it over time? Cause it's not, you know, making love as 50-year-olds is going to look and feel different than making love as 23-year-olds. So how do we how do we work with that together in a way that is, you know, lighthearted, gentle, graceful? I love that. I mean, I'm just kind of pulling from my experience in the latter half of the long-term space. It is so easy to slip into just rote disconnection. Just there's enough narratives to support it too. You're busy, you're getting older, your bodies are getting older, you've got all these kids you're managing. There's plenty of people to say, here are all the reasons why sex is going to be disconnected or dissatisfying right now. And so I know I felt lonely inside of that because it didn't really, 
you know, I'm not sure that the obvious statement of this is a together issue, like this is something to be solved together and you're on the same team, like same side of the equation here. I feel like the more common response is I've got a problem. This is my problem. And that alone is revolutionary to say, hey, you're in the same boat. Let's row it together. Like no matter where the thing is located physically, if that's the case. That's right. It's really hard. It's really, it's hard work to do. And it's not work that everybody is available for. And it's why, it's why I want couples in couples therapy early and often. It's why I want couples therapists to be very well-trained in sexuality. That's kind of a problem in our field is that the couple therapists are over here and the sex therapists are over there. And so I spend a lot of my time educating couples therapists about sex and educating sex therapists about relationship dynamics. Like I want, absolutely, you know, I want that to be just a normal part of a couple therapy conversation as well. Because they're just so linked. I mean, I can look at my own experience and say, if you are experiencing pretty severe emotional disconnection, it is absolutely going to translate to physical disconnection too. They're together. Like those are not two separate categories at all. Those, And so I think generally we do look at those in their own buckets. But the integration there is so clear in an experiential place. Like, I mean, maybe we're going to do talk therapy over here about the way we argue, but I wish somebody could also say, let's talk about the way you're having sex, you know, and found that parsed out together. Let's talk about how you coach and lead single women. Yes. Well, I think that you're you're right that the category of single women is really diverse, as you were saying before, single women who've been single for a long time, single women who are newly single, especially who are coming up out of a long-term relationship. So to those, to those gals, the first thing I would say is that you your sexuality doesn't, you know, your ex doesn't take your sexuality with them. You know, even if in a long-term marriage, like that was really your only or your primary sexual experience, like you get your sexuality comes with you. It lives inside of you. And so I think that especially for the newly single, it's a chapter of like reclamation, right? Of what is the, what is the healing I want and need to do? What will I no longer tolerate? What do I even want? Have I ever, for many women, it's, have I ever masturbated? Do I understand my own relationship with my body? And it's a a wonderful time to have those big questions because there are just so many resources. The back of Taking Sexy Back is a long list of all the books that I love, all the teachers that I treasure and that I learn from because as we were saying in the beginning, there's so much information available. So I want single women to really like become fierce advocates for their own pleasure and their own sexuality. Not that they're going to go out there and, you know, whatever, be willy nilly unless they want to, my gosh, whatever. But just, but just so that then when, when they decide that they want to step back into that intimate realm with a partner, they feel like they're on really sturdy ground within themselves. They know where their boundaries are. They know what's going to work for them. They know how to advocate so that those patterns, you know, can be set up in in really healthy ways right from the start and perhaps a way that they didn't in their marriage or in their twenties. So I think that's for the, for the women who are kind of newly single. Mm-hmm. I think that is so phenomenal. And just in a thousand other ways, being newly single, it is an invitation to learn, to grow, to reassess maybe some old stories that you've told yourself about yourself 
for a really long time, this definitely includes like our sexuality. You know, when you've had that sex with the same person for a really long time, you have this idea about yourself as a sexual being baked in. This is the kind of sex I have. This is what I'm like in bed. All of that is kind of up for debate. You know, it's up for re-examination in a wonderful way. If you had a partner who's looking in on that work the whole time and you're disconnected from that person, that is anxiety provoking. But in a single space, it's your body. It's your it's your moment. Like you're free to really kind of explore. That's been like a really exciting and wonderful development for me post-divorce that I, it was like a very strange gift wrapped in very strange packaging. Yeah. 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 Just really well said. Right. Not anything that you necessarily went looking for or wanted or hoped <laughs> for, but you're just like, oh, wow, here's something that I hadn't known might happen. This is a strange gift. An opportunity. Exactly. An opportunity. Mm-hmm. You teach a very renowned marriage 101 course, but if you were to teach a sex education 101 course, what would be let's just say your thesis and maybe you're supporting one or two, like here's our big chapter headings, guys. Like this is where we're going to dial into if you are taking people from the beginning of the story. Yeah, I love Mm -hmm. that. What a great question. I think the class would be, basically the thesis would be, you are enough as you are. Oh, oh, that's so good. Oh, your class would be packed. Uh-huh. Sex and shame are like next door neighbors, right? Because for so many of us, our first learning about sex is sex and disease, sex and sin, sex and danger, sex and risk, you know, sex and loss. So that's where we would start. It's just like, you are enough as you are. You are whole as you are. You know, that would be really the, the, the premise. And then it would be really about and this is what I do when I teach when I when I teach about sex in the marriage 101 course which of course I do because I'm I'm not going to assume that any of those undergraduate students have had adequate or medically accurate even sex education coming into college so we kind of start from like let's you know make sure we've got sort of foundation here and it's about sex as like a a menu sex is a menu and there's not and it's it's an umbrella for all kinds of erotically charged behavior. That's not, you know, sex doesn't equal. I think when, when we hear the word sex, we so often think about penetration, penis and vagina sex, which first of all, renders queer people in our lives, renders them invisible and says that somehow they don't, they don't have sex because they don't have penis and vagina sex. So we have to expand the word sex, you know, right off the bat for the liberation of queer folk and for the liberation of all folks that sex is about just connection, exploration, play. So that would be one of the really central And then also just normalizing that as long as you are breathing, your sexuality is changing and evolving. And I don't want anyone to hold themselves to some external standard, either a porn standard or a, you know, fit body standard or an able body standard or a 20, you know, a young body standard that just, you get to be sexual just because you are alive and breathing, you know, those would be the really important message. And I w- we would, it would be a lot focused on how to talk about sex because the research shows that couples who can talk together about sex have better sex. Like that translates. Talking about sex leads to more desire for sex and then better sex when you do have it. I love that. That's so hopeful. And I guess that would lead me to my like last question for you, which is, 
you, of course, this is your area. This is your expertise. This is this is your bread and butter, and you have seen and heard it all. And you have a very you come from a really knowledgeable place of facts and information. And so, what would you say? is the really like hopeful story here. I'm thinking about the woman who's listening today and this has just been a painful place. This has been, a, this is a hard subject. It's complicated. It's not going the way she wants it to go. She's, it's just, this is hard for a lot of people. And so what to you is the hopeful message here? Really not just from a place of like, hope springs eternal, but like, you know, you know, what's possible, you know, the potential that doing this work has inside any given sexual body and or relationship. And so what would you kind of hang up on the lantern as like, listen, this is why this is all worth it. This, this conversation, this is what's possible. Oh, there's possibility even for those who have struggled for a long time. And listen, especially for women, a lot of that struggle is about trauma, right? That's, you know, we didn't, we didn't talk explicitly about trauma, but that is, you know, it is like one in three women are survivors of some kind of sexual trauma. And so that is, and recovery, recovery from trauma is not just about sexual pain or sadness or, you know, post-traumatic stress symptoms stopping, but recovery from trauma is also about reclaiming pleasure, reclaiming your right to pleasure, reclaiming an embodied felt sense of, of living safely inside of your body. I think our capacity for healing is, is limitless. You know, I really do believe that. And that, that is, that it is not just about like sex as some kind of cool thing we get to do, but about something that's like deeply life affirming and, and that is, it's, it's like the arrow goes in both directions. You know, the healing that we do on painful family dynamics, breaking generational patterns, like that liberates us to be more present in the bedroom. And then as we, as we have experiences of being in our bodies, of experiencing pleasure, of feeling safe in our bodies, it gives us then the energy we need to continue to do the work of showing up for our relationships a bit differently. So it's like the arrow goes in both directions. It's not, I think so, so often it's like we have our life and then we have our sex life. You know, and I and I think what's so hopeful is that certainly there's boundaries in between those parts of our world, but there's but there's flow, there's flow between. And what we reclaim over here, we get to play out over here. And so I think that's, you know, and I love hearing the stories of older, you know, older adults who are sexual and unapologetic about their right to feel good in their bodies. And so I think those are the stories that are really hopeful. I love that. Okay. This is genuinely the last question. And this is a question that I, I don't want to be done. I want to keep going. No, I know we, we scratched (laughs) the surface barely. Like we've got a million other things to talk about, which is why I'm so happy to put your books in the hands of my listeners, because there's more where this came from. Lots more where to find all that in just one second. And here's the last question that before that, everybody gets this question, every single guest in every single series. And I would love for you to answer it literally however you want. This can be serious. It can be silly. So we love all answers. What is saving your life right now? (laughs) What is saving my life right now is we have a new fireplace. You know, we've lived in this house for years and years and years, and we've never gotten the fireplace going. I don't, I don't, I cannot tell you why. And this year we got the fireplace going and it's saving my life because it, it marked, it helped me mark the distinction between day. You know, I work from home now post 
you know, whatever. So it helps me mark the transition from day to night. It's so pleasurable for me. It reminds me that I deserve to have cozy, beautiful, feel good things in my life. So the fire, my light in the fire, you know, at the end of my day. I love that. I love that answer. No one's ever given that answer, but I feel that in my bones. I think that was so nice. Finally, will you just tell my listeners where to find you, where to find your work, how to follow you, all those things? Sure, 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 sure. The best place to start is just my website, which is dralexandrasolomon.com. And there you will find, I don't know, hundreds of articles and uh, links to the podcast. My podcast is called Reimagining Love. It's a weekly show and we've got episodes on sex and dating and healing and all, you know, all of the things. And you can find the books through there, Loving Bravely and Taking Sexy Back. And I've got e-courses for those who want to learn. We, we turned the Marriage 101 course into something that I call Marriage 101 for the Grown and Sexy. So it's a just a, a thoughtful and comprehensive relationship course. So yeah, that's a great place to go. Uh, so many good resources. I'm telling you that my listeners will be coming. And so I'll have all of that available for them in a one-click format. But thank you so much, Dr. Solomon, for being with me for this last hour. It's just so hopeful, so helpful. I just find myself like my shoulders like relaxing a little after having this conversation with you. And thank you for honoring just the dignity of every person who just gets to be sexy because they live. And they are sexy because they are a human being and they deserve pleasure and joy and connection. And it's just so such a healing message. And so thank you for bringing it so eloquently to my community today. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you for for valuing this kind of a conversation. Because like you said, there's a ton of interest in it, but nobody wants to go first. But we're all thinking about it. We all have questions and concerns. And so thank you so much for valuing. Okay. Thank you. That was one of my favorite conversations in this series. I loved what she had to say. I like the spirit of compassion and curiosity. She said that earlier in one of the questions. And I'm like, those two things can change our relationships with our own bodies, with our own history, with our own possibility for pleasure, and definitely with our partners. Because generally what you reach for sexually is you know, control or performance or blame or disconnection, but reaching for curiosity and compassion, I mean, that could change everything alone. And so as mentioned, she's got tons of resources for you. If this is a place you'd like more information. So if you go to jenhatmaker.com underneath the podcast tab, I will have this entire episode and all the show notes. And I will also have everything Dr. Solomon related links to her books, to her website, to all those resources. She mentioned her e-course, like this is important, not just to have better sex, but to have better relationships, to have better, really whole entire lives. This one really matters. And so thank you for being here more to come. And thanks for your feedback. Your feedback is the reason we're having this series in the first place. Because you were like, thank you for moving into the zip code, but we want more and we need more. So we listen to everything you say. We listen to your responses and your questions and your requests. And so keep them coming. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, it's time. Just go do it. Go smash that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll never miss another one. 
So on behalf of Laura and her crew and Amanda and I, we love you. We love producing this podcast for you here in our fifth year. Just keeps getting better. All right, you guys see you next week.